What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Black Lives Matter is turning 10, and what a journey it has been. Seismic shifts in leadership, the political landscape, and the, yet the fight for black liberation remains as strong as ever. We are joined this morning by one of the warriors of the movement, my friend, my sister, my comrade, my sister-in-arms, Dr. Melina Abdullah, co-founder of the Los Angeles chapter of Black Lives Matter and co-founder and director of Black Lives Matter Grassroots. Good morning, Melina Abdullah. Good morning, Sister Cat. It's so good to hear your voice. Um, Melina, in your words, from your experience as you lived it, tell us the origin story of Black Lives Matter. Sure. So Black Lives Matter um, was born the night that George Zimmerman was acquitted in the murder of Trayvon Martin. So I think most of us um, will have this moment as kind of our... um, moment you know previous generations talk about where were you when john uh when jfk was murdered right i think many of us um remember where we were and remember what we were doing when we got word that george zimmerman was acquitted we were all sure i was sure that zimmerman would be absolutely um uh found guilty of the murder of our 17 year old prince trayvon martin and so when we heard that he was acquitted, Um, I know I went into a fog, um, but then did what many of us do and is beautiful to the history of Black organizing, we came together. So here in Los Angeles, we, um, in 2013, didn't need social media to tell us where to go. We went to Lamert Park, which we call Africatown, and thousands of us were in that park. And we committed ourselves to shutting things down. You know, we would say other words if we weren't on the radio, but to shut things down because this system doesn't, um, we have a chance when we say no justice, no peace. There's no peace for the system and those entrenched in a system that steals black life. And so for three days um, in Los Angeles, we shut things down all around the city. And we engaged in what we call, Brenda Stevenson calls it intuitive organizing. We engaged in intuitive organizing. And on the third day of protest, July 15th, we got a call. Um, I got a text that originated with one of our co-founders, Patrice Colors, who um, I'd been in community with for many years, organizing community with for many years. And um, it asked us to come to the artist community where she was living And um, I always imagine the text read like a message from the Underground Railroad, made at 9 p.m. at St. Elmo Village, right? So I was um, in the streets with many of my students, with my children, and we went to St. Elmo Village at 9 p.m. And under the light of Yemeya's moon, we pledged to build a movement, not a moment, a movement, not a moment. And that was the birth of Black Lives Matter. What I didn't know is that Patrice had been in conversation with Alicia Garza and later Opal Tometi. Um, I didn't know Alicia at that time, but she had written a love letter to Black people and posted it on Facebook and signed it Black Lives Matter, which is where our name and where the hashtag came from. Um, And, um, you know, we hear that story often with the history of Black Lives Matter. We also 
um, remember that Black Lives Matter is a movement in the streets. And so many of us, again, thousands of us were in the streets and then committed ourselves to the longer struggle to make Black Lives Matter. Melina, talk about Black Lives Matter as an evolution of the struggle for Black liberation that's been happening since the first of us was kidnapped and brought to these shores. Look, how much time you got? You know I'm a professor. (laughs) (laughs) We got 20 minutes, so you go ahead, Dr. Melina Abdullah. (laughs) Um, I think that the way you framed it is really important, right? That Black people have never submitted to our own oppression. Right. When we were stolen from the shores of Africa, we rebelled. We fought. We fought in every way possible, using every tool we had at our disposal, Um, whether it be mama saying, no, I'm not subjecting my children to this and jumping off the bowels of ships with their babies in their arms, whether it be uprisings on ships like the Amistad, right? whether it be takeovers, whatever it is, we never submit it to our own oppression. And these struggles for Black freedom, for Black liberation from um, systems that enslave us, and I include current systems of enslavement, um, these struggles have been our legacy and have been long in nature. When we think about Black people fighting against chattel slavery, You know, those fights were hundreds of years. I think about when in the 18th century, um, Mama Sojourner Truth, you know, stood before a crowd in Seneca Falls and said, ain't I a woman, when she fought to get her children back, right? She didn't know what was coming, right? When Mama Harriet, who may have known what was coming because she had a unique relationship with God, right, who she often says spoke in her ear, Um, I don't know, though, if Mama Harriet knew when we would be free, right, when chattel slavery would fall. Um, And so these are long struggles. And there's always been um, groups that pick up on the previous struggle. So the struggle to end chattel slavery has been inherited by the anti-lynching movement and people like Ida B. Wells and Mary Church Terrell, and the anti-lynching movement is met by the Black unionization work, right? So I think about the washerwomen in Jackson, Mississippi, who refused to undercut each other on their work and really formed what's the basis of the first labor unions, right? And of course, we know a thousand Black men named George and the unionization of the sleeping car porters, right? I think about the early um, ways in which civil rights came together, right? I think about the Black Power Movement. I think about the anti-apartheid movement, Pan-Africanism, which we talk about now, but began in earnest in 1900 with the first Pan-African convening by Sylvester Williams, right? I think about all of these struggles. And Black Lives Matter is really um, blessed to have inherited the Black radical tradition and to be fueled and stand on the shoulders of those who struggled before us and continue to struggle along with us. And as we come today, the day after our Baba, Matulu Shakur, was buried yesterday, right? Um, I think about his struggle. I think about the struggle of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army, about what he's left us, right? We talk now in terms like healing justice, 
There was no such thing as healing justice before who we call Doc, Baba, Baba Matulu Shakur, right? Who said that, yeah, we got to fight fiercely with everything in us and we got to maintain ourselves for that struggle. And so come get some of this acupuncture, eat the right foods, right? Heal together. And so when you say, you know, there's a long struggle and that we've always been fighting since the moment we were stolen from the shores of Africa. In fact, from the moment that they invaded Africa and tried to steal us, we inherit the tradition of Yah Santewa, who said, we will fight until the last of us dies on the battlefield, right? We'll fight. If the men won't fight, then the women will, right? And we continue to say that. We continue to do that. We continue to pledge ourselves, our voices, our bodies, our resources to getting us free because we owe it to our ancestors. We owe it to each other. And we owe it to, you know, you and me, Kat, we're mamas. We owe it to these babies. We can't leave them this world. We have to make the world better for for them. We have to leave them something better than what was inherited. Dr. Melina, I believe you talked about those three days in Los Angeles where y'all were in the streets. We were in the streets here in Oakland, APTP, um, leading marches and protests and, and shutting things down. Did you have a sense as you were in those streets for those three days that we were on the verge of launching an international phenomenon that would become the next chapter in the struggle of Black liberation for the world? You know, in 2013, I already knew that it was happening because as you bring up Oakland, which I live in L.A. now, but, you know, if you're from Oakland, you always from Oakland. So I'll always represent my town. Right. Um, and when I think about um, APTP and the work that you all did, it didn't begin in 2013. Right. I want to go back to 2009 as the right. moment that I realized there'd be a global struggle. There had to be a global struggle. Um, when I think about what happened in Oakland and Los Angeles, and our cities were tied together also um, mm-hmm. by the spirit of Oscar Grant, right? So that uprising, um, that set of uprisings, 2009, really laid the foundation for Black Lives Matter before it had a name. Um, so the work that was happening in Oakland really was foundational. We always say Black Lives Matter was birthed in Los Angeles. Yes, and it also, you know, each movement, um, each piece grows from each other. And so we already had a foundation based on the movement for justice for Oscar Grant because his trial was here. So you all were in the streets in Oakland, but then you brought that energy to LA because the trial was here and we were activated Um, through that work in 2009, and that set us through 2013. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that piece of history. Melina, there there is no movement uh, that is not fraught with with struggle, right, With, with conflict, and certainly not without backlash from the state. Um, This is a big question. I'm still sort of formulating it in my head. But characterize for us the ways in which the state has attacked the movement, attempted to fracture the movement, interrupt the work, and how we fought back. Yeah, we're still fighting back, right? So there's nothing new. Um, You know, we'd be really, really naive and frankly stupid 
if we thought that we could seek to not just reform unjust systems, neither you or I um, have any interest in just engaging in reform, right? Policing is a fundamentally unjust, irredeemable system, right? Policing hails from slave catching. So as ridiculous as it would be to say, you know what, let's reform chattel slavery, right? It's equally ridiculous to say, let's reform slave catching, right? So we believe in real justice and real safety, public safety practices that keep black people safe. Um, there's no black person that I've ever met in my entire life who feels safer when the police roll up behind them in traffic. We all go into a state of panic, right? Um, you know, they, they feed us this idea, this notion of officer friendly. I don't know any black child who's ever felt like there's an officer friendly. We know that when we need something, when we need support, it's our community that provides us support. We keep us safe is what we say. And so it's really important to remember that as we seek to upend um, policing, upend prisons, upend um, predatory capitalism, that those systems that are really, really resourced and powerful will come back at us with their full force. And so history teaches us that the system of white supremacist patriarchal heteronormative capitalism will use three different primary ways to come at, back at us. They will seek to kill us, literally. They'll try to kill us, literally. They will steal our freedom. I think again about Baba Matulu Shakur and how they stole his freedom, how Rochelle McGee, after 50, I think 54 years now in prison, is still in prison, longest held political prisoner, um, in the United States. So we have to free Rochelle McGee. And then I also think about, and we don't talk about this enough, so we got assassinations, we got imprisonment, but we should also talk about discreditation, right? Mm. So they do everything they can to discredit us to our own communities, to discredit us and silence us and erase us from history. They're now calling 2020, first they started calling 2020, the George Floyd uprisings. No, those were the Black Lives Matter uprisings, right? That absolutely were fueled in part by the spirit of George Floyd, and they were also bigger than the spirit of George Floyd, right? Now they're talking about 2020 just in terms of pandemic, right? That's part of um, erasure and discreditation. So those three things happen, assassinations, imprisonments, um, or the theft of our freedom, and discreditation. And we have to come back. We have to say we won't believe our lies. We have to say we have our own outlets. So this is why law and disorder is so important because, um, you know, there's an African proverb, until the lion tells the story, the hunter will always be the hero. So mm. you with this show are a lion telling our stories from our perspective. And so we have to push back. We have to um, keep it going, regardless of what they say about us, regardless of what threats they levy against us. We have to keep it going. So we're celebrating the first 10 years of Black Lives Matter, and we'll continue um, to struggle until we get free. 
and I and I can't move on uh, with you lifting up, you know, the fact that they will assassinate us without acknowledging um, our comrades in Ferguson, right? Uh, the mysterious deaths of frontline organizers um, in Ferguson, and we know that there are Black Lives Matter activists that are sitting in jails um, across this country for simply asserting um, that our lives do, in fact, matter. Um, Melina, over the, the last 10 years, we've seen all three co-founders, you know, step down from the organization, the last one being Patrice Cullors, and in her stead, um, left Shomalaya Bowers uh, ahead of the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. You've been engaged in a courtroom battle with them. Can you give us an update on where uh, those things stand? Yeah, so we tried to, when Patrice stepped back, and left the Global Network Foundation um, in the hands of who calls himself Shalomia Bowers. We um, first were planning for everything to transition over to the movement on the ground. And when Bowers made it clear that he was not going to hand over the dollars, and we're talking about tens of millions of dollars, um, and then took away the social media platforms, which at the time had about 5 million followers um, on Instagram, and then also represent himself as being Black Lives Matter. When he stole the movement's resources, um, we attempted to reason with him. We um, first had a closed letter. I believe you were one of the signers of that letter saying, give us our stuff I back. was? Yes. <laughs> Um, we said, give us our stuff back. He didn't listen. So we um, launched an open letter saying everybody should know that we don't have our stuff. Right. And that was signed by about 2,500 movement leaders. Oh, I think we're up to almost 3,000 now. Movement leaders saying, give us our stuff back. That didn't work. So we wound up in September of 2022 filing a lawsuit um, and saying, that they are not Black Lives Matter, we're Black Lives Matter. BLM Grassroots is Black Lives Matter. And if you go to their 2021 um, impact report, it actually has our logo on the back of the impact report because we were moving all that work in 2020 and have been moving all the work since 2013. Um, and so we sued them and said, you know, this rightfully belongs to the people. My mother, who's one of the people who has monthly donations going on, she was donating thinking that she was funding the movement on the ground, not some paid consultants, highly paid consultants, who, you know, there were pictures of Bowers sunbathing on yachts, right, who had never been to a protest before, who doesn't even know what we stand for is Black Lives Matter, right? She wasn't intending to fund them. She was intending to fund the movement on the ground. So we um, filed a lawsuit in September 2022. Um, that lawsuit was then met on their side with an anti-slap motion. An anti-slap motion is kind of a legal maneuvering, preventing, working to prevent the um, plaintiff from even getting to court. So they filed an anti-slap motion, not disputing the facts of what we said. They disputed, um, they said basically, maybe we did all of that, maybe we didn't, but you don't get to sue us because it's our First Amendment right to do what we did. And the initial review that we got from the judge back in May 
was that she issued a tentative ruling agreeing with us. Unfortunately, a week and a half ago, um, she issued a final ruling um, siding with the Global Network Foundation and preventing Black Lives Matter grassroots from even having a day in court. So we don't even get to present our case before a court, according to her. There are some other legal options that we have, including appeals, including reconsideration. Um, but we also have, you know, the moral um, uh, effort that we can engage in. We can continue to pressure, I call them the three thieves, Shalomia Bowers, Cecily Gay, and Dejanae Parker, who are the only three people in charge of BLM Global Network Foundation. These are not activists. These are, one of them is, again, a highly paid consultant who in 2020, as the sole board member, paid himself $2.2 million in contracts, right? Last year, the latest um, says he paid himself, I think, $1.7 million in contracts. That's Bowers. Cecily Gay um, also has been paying herself. And I don't want to down anybody who's had hard economic times, but someone who's filed for bankruptcy three or four times, the latest being in 2019, probably shouldn't be left holding a bag worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars and trusted with that. Um, she's probably not the best money manager. And then someone whose aspirations were to be an Instagram model, Instagram modeling is fine, but Dejanae Parker is not the most um, grounded organizer. And so it's really important that we know where we are and that we continue to fight and say to them, look, it's never too late to do the right thing. Just give us our stuff back. Melina, I know you and I have had this conversation, but but I know it's a question for my listeners, right? You have engaged in the fight to get the name of Black Lives Matter, to get the people's resources back. I know you have been asked from other folks, why not just form a new organization and move on with the 30, I believe it's 39 chapters um, that are uh, across this country doing work supporting dozens and dozens of families? Yeah, so we're up to 33 chapters. And remember, we had to figure out who was going to go with us and who was going to kind of not. So we're 33 chapters strong. That's big. Um, and that's really important. And I've been having deep conversations with lots of folks who say just give up the name Black Lives Matter. But you know what? We built this name. Um, I've been arrested eight times. I've been surrounded by police. My children have been surrounded by police with um, assault rifles. I've had white supremacists pull up um, with allegedly with explosives in their vehicles, right? I've had all of this happen because I've invested in building Black Lives Matter. I think about Baba Keeley, who's 75 years old, and how many times he's been arrested and how what it's meant for him um, to be treated in the way that he has. I think about our families, you know, the, what um, Sister Deanna Hardy-Joseph calls our survivor families, and that they've invested their children's and siblings' and parents' names into building Black Lives Matter. So I'm not going to let them take it. And, you know, we've prayed on it and thought about it, but this is our movement. And to rebuild something else to change our name. You know, um, 
I'm inspired by our now ancestor, Tina Turner, right? When she fought Ike Turner in court, she said, (laughs) (laughs) I just want my name, right? So we want our name. We want our name. And um, I think that all of the sullying of the name that we've seen has happened. It's important that we tell our folks that that is not the real Black Lives Matter. You've never seen Shalomia Bowers on a front line. You never even heard his name until we sued him. So that's yep. fake. We're we're taking what's ours back to make it real. And so right now, where I'm, where I am right now, and um, we had our chapter meeting last night. We posed the question to the chapter. We posed the question in our um, global calls. Nobody wants to give up our name because it's ours. All right, let's get to what is happening this weekend. I cannot wait to be there. Talk to us about what Saturday's 10th anniversary of Black Lives Matter celebration is going to look like. Well, Saturday, July 15th from noon to 6, we are taking over. It's going all the way down in Africa Town, also known as Lamert Park, which is the black cultural hub of Los Angeles. You are going to be with us, Sister Cat Brooks. I am Um, indeed. And Dr. Cornell West is going to be with us. Trayvon Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton, is going to be with us. And what um, one of the things that and now I don't know why I'm becoming emotional. One of the things um, I, I feel overwhelmed that, you know, we don't have our money back. Right. But all of the people who are coming through to celebrate Black Lives Matter are coming through on love. Gray Carr is flying out from Washington, D.C. Queen Yonajaha, um, who's one of the leaders of the Stop Cop City effort, is coming out from Atlanta. Nobody's asking for a check, right? We expect there to be thousands of people listening to the wisdom of Cat Brooks. We expect there to be thousands of people lifting up the dozens and dozens of survivor families, including people like uh, Brianna Taylor's auntie, Bianca Austin, um, including uh, Jacob Blake Sr., um, are going to be joining us. And we are going to celebrate them and love up on them. There's going to be a main stage with all of the speakers, but there's also going to be seven different what we're calling activation spaces, which include workshops and skill building, Kat, you're going to be leading one of the workshops as well as being on the main stage. But one of the workshops on how we organize um, is going to be led by Kat Brooks. We've got Baba Akili leading Community Organizing 101. we got a Healing Justice Village where we'll learn massage technique. And also we have a whole group of Black Samba instructors who are at a mm. national uh, global conference right but they're making a field trip and so at 1 p.m we taking over crenshaw and we're going to have a massive samba in the streets right it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be restorative it's going to be a reclamation and anybody who wants to get down come on it's not that far if you in the bay get in that car and drive down the five. It's going to be a really, really good time. There's going to be food vendors. If you got your kids, pack them up. We've got a whole children's village with a rock climbing wall, with a Ferris wheel, with um, an art making station and it's staffed by professionals. Um, And we got a pledge 
from the city that no police will be at our people's justice. So it's going to be great. And if people want to get more information, Melina, where should they go? People should follow BLM Grassroots on all social media. That's BLM Grassroots. And they can also go to blmgrassroots.org. We also have a few vendor spaces left. So if you want to, it's going to be thousands and thousands of people. If you got some stuff to sell, it's a good spot. Emmalina, in my last 60 seconds, uh, what are your hopes for the next 10 years for Black Lives Matter? You know, my hope is really encapsulated in what happened at our meeting last night. We began with Baba Akili and Mama Paula pouring libation and grounding us, and we ended with our youth vanguard chanting us out, doing the Asada chant, and reminding us that our young people are far more audacious and visionary than we can ever be, and they'll lead us forward. We'll have police out of schools. We'll have police off the planet, and we'll build a world that's fit for their inheritance. All right, Melina, we got to leave it there. I look forward to seeing you and all of the people on Saturday. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.